I want to tell you about Prometheus, who is a figure in Greek mythology who is known for bringing fire to the humans. And he did so in defiance of the gods and was punished. Because by giving humans a forbidden gift, he helped them to become more powerful, more godlike. And like any power, perhaps the gods were worried that this gift could either produce amazing results or tragic ones. Because how could humans know how to use it properly? How could they trust these humans to do anything correctly? Sure, they may be able to create life-saving alchemy with fire, maybe some cooking, maybe some warmth, but they might also burn each other down. Zeus, whose hearth Prometheus stole the fire from, was actually more worried about being driven out of his kingdom if the fire were to give humans too much of a leg up on survival, which it did. And he was so angry when he realized that the humans were able to stay warm and cook and live through the harsh winter. With more of them surviving, what kinds of dangerous creations would they put forth in the springtime when all of the snow melted? So from a literal perspective, Prometheus provided humans with physical survival, with resources for light, for warmth, and a power that could both create and destroy. But from the metaphorical perspective, in many ways, Prometheus illuminated a previously unseen part of the human psyche, the god system. He lit up not just the darkness in front of the human physical eyes, but also the non-physical parts of human consciousness and existence that the people of this mythological time had not yet become aware of, that they did not yet know they had the capacity to wield. And the status quo, the god system, was threatened by human possession of fire because with fire, humans slowly began to disrupt the existing establishment. Who these mythical figures really represent or what they represent is really up to you. That is the beauty of the structure of myth. If the story of Prometheus feels familiar, it's because today I think we are in a massive Prometheus moment in our lifetime. It's not a coincidence that I'm posting this around the new moon in Aquarius, which is ruled by Uranus, known as the planet of innovation, disruption, and rebellion, and who many astrologers think is actually best represented by the legend of Prometheus. And if this week you can feel the massive buildup of anticipatory excitement for the next year that you didn't feel on January 1st, this beginning of the new lunar cycle the new lunar new year may be why. And it's not a coincidence that I was introduced to Prometheus as Uranus by one of my teachers who pointed it out to me as I was practicing reading astrology charts on modern technologies recently. And modern technologies, of course, are known to play heavily with the word disruption. I was seeing Uranus in all of the charts It's not a coincidence that 
Many of the human charts that I'm also reading have Uranus as a prominent force in their personality, some of it waiting patiently for its power to be embraced. On the individual level, so many of you are here to disrupt. And through each of you, whether you know it or not, the disruptive Prometheus energy has already been hard at work to present us with a collective choice to either use this fire to keep on the same old drama and chaos or to begin liberating ourselves with new ways of being. Because remember, disruption is not always beneficial, it's not always responsible, and it is not always pretty. But the wave is here, my friends, and I cannot wait to see what we do with this gift. We are truly living in the most amazing art project to ever exist. This life and this universe. The universe is art. And what solidified this for me as a concept is the language of astrology. Which, might I add, spent 10 years trying to wiggle its way into my worldview until just last year I finally fully welcomed it officially as a language that I wanted to speak fluently. So brace yourselves, guys, because I'm going to continue with the metaphors that you are now so used to on this podcast, because this concept I'm about to share is best understood if you listen and feel. So whether you love it or hate it, everybody knows what astrology is. Logically, You can explain it as the study of pattern recognition on a cosmic level. But to me, I would describe it like going to a museum and sitting in front of an impressionist painting. I make this comparison because the universe is and should be treated like art. Let's take a look at what happens when we are truly appreciating a work of art. And I don't mean appreciate from an academic sense, where you're unpacking the technical proficiency of the artist and their use of materials, but rather appreciation as in a fully embodied emotional connection with the work. The way that we love and connect with art at a museum or in a live performance, that connection is a sort of clue for how the universe itself wishes to be engaged. And to me, astrology teaches this. Astrology is intended to be one of many guides for how to appreciate the work of art 
that is the universe, and ultimately, life itself. It's like the little card on the side of the sculpture that gives you just enough context in order to connect a little more intellectually to what you already feel about the sculpture, or the playbill that tells you all of the actors who you just watched in the show. Art in which the artist is truly in tune with what they are birthing into existence is an energetic mirror, a fractal of the patterns in the wider, greater universe. Again, the existence of art is just a tiny fractal of the greater consciousness because the universe, after all, is the ultimate creation. It's a cosmic composition. And when we witness and appreciate this magnificent universal quality of a work of art, that connection and witnessing can change or activate the viewer in ways they can't even comprehend. Same as when we witness and appreciate the magnificent artistic quality of the universe. That witnessing can change or activate the viewer of the universe, the observer, in ways that they can't even comprehend. Our universe and life itself are the strongest cases for the significance of art. And art is the strongest case we could make for living in this life and this universe. Are you noticing the patterns yet? I'm fully aware at how abstract this concept is and how hard to grasp that it might be. But think about how our world depreciates art. It also depreciates the universe. It depreciates our earthly resources. It depreciates life in some ways. And... And because one is a macro or micro version of the other, then you can see the pattern of how we don't value one, and that's why we don't value the other. We don't value art because we don't value nature. We don't value nature because we don't value art. It's the same thing. And maybe you're sitting here like, but I do value those things. It's just society that doesn't. And to that, I will tell you a story of something I didn't even notice about myself. And I'm not telling this story to be like, I'm, I'm ahead of my time. I was doing this for a really long time before anybody else was, um, because that's not true. But it's just a way of looking at the world that has always existed for me. And that's really what we're talking about here is, sure, we can recycle, but how do you look at the world? How do you really see the world? So two stories. One is I was lucky when I was young um, to be brought to Hawaii by my family. and. I was fascinated by the local myths. And of course, I learned about Pele very early and how her wrath could 
come out at any moment how her spirit could be seen by the locals and how she demanded respect. And so at my young age, I think I was maybe 12, I remember going onto some volcanic rock and really honoring Pele very naturally, um, just thanking her that I was able to walk on this beautiful ground, uh, that I could witness the amazing landscape of her island. And so that's one memory I have. Another is feng shui. So I was into feng shui around the age of 12. Very fascinated. My mom got me into it because I'm not sure, maybe in the 90s it was trending. And I was like, I want to help with this. This is really interesting. And I did it so intentionally that it worked. And so I did feng shui throughout my life. I still do it. Um, Not super strictly because I don't believe in doing energy practices strictly because that is an energy that is confining and it's energy that you don't want. But anyway, feng shui taught me how to speak to your home, how to walk around and appreciate every corner of this place that you're living in as if it was a living object. And then there's the fact that I grew up Filipino and back in the Philippines, there are tons of legends of how to live in alignment with nature. Stories about the Duende, Aswang, the goddesses of Mount Pinatubo, um, so many that I can't even name. And they were all real to me. They were as real as the grim fairy tales. They were as real as Aesop's fables. I loved all those stories. And what I mean by real is they are emotionally real. They speak to us in ways that we can't consciously comprehend. That's why stories are so impactful. And I've spoken about this many times, I'm sure. But I want to drive home the impact of cultural perceptions because the leading cultural perception in the world is overwhelmingly unaware and full denial of the spiritual nature of what is around us. And this is not to say any spiritual track or modality or denomination or diet or belief system is better than the others. I'm not even going there. The spiritual path is a path, yes, but it's also just a way of seeing the world. And we don't even have to see it the same way because obviously every culture has their history of myths and legends that are very different. But to get back to the comparison of the universe to art, 
This universal art cannot be seen. It can only be felt. Our societal discomfort with intangibility is also another reason why this perspective feels inaccessible to a lot of us. Because we are not in touch with our feelings. So let's get back to the example of art in this material world. Art is very powerful, whether it's music, media, a painting, a performance, etc. These things we know stir up feelings in us. And one of the major commonalities of all of the types of art that I just listed is the quality of composition, the combining of elements to form a whole. So if you dabble in art at all, you know that the interplay of light and shadow is the key to the depth of composition. This is true in both the literal and the intangible metaphorical sense. Light and dark brushstrokes and major and minor chords can create a masterful work. But we can't forget the reason why art does speak to us emotionally. It's because the light and the dark also exist within us. Note the pattern again. The energetic and emotional connection that we have with a work of art is a mirror for the interplay of light and dark within ourselves. So yes, if the universe is art, then it can show us exactly what we don't want to feel, which is the uncomfortable shadow. And to transcend the light and dark obsessions and fixations, that means we connect deeply with the whole composition in order to see that contrast. But, you know, that can be overwhelming to think about. So let me put it another way. The light side of art is that when we have a fully embodied connection with a work of art, then We can illuminate truth and awareness of the deep connectedness of all life and creation. As is the case with works that move our soul and provide us with deep insight into ourselves. The shadow side of art is that without forming a conscious connection while engaging with a work of art, we can become fixated on the external rewards of making, appreciating or even disparaging art, whether those rewards are money, social cred, anything other than illuminating the truth of the feeling that was stirred within us. As is the case with all of social media. But the bottom line I'm trying to get at is that every composition has an interplay of light and darkness. If we can use the creation and appreciation of art to both enlighten and enslave our psyches, then this is also the nature of the universe. We can take perspectives of our cosmos and of intangibility and appreciate them in ways that either enlighten or keep us subjected. This may sound dramatic, 
And this is not to say that you have to pull your hair out in every moment to stress over whether you're picking the light or the shadow. Because my whole point is not to move toward the light at all costs. Art is deeper than that. The key is balance and presence. Life itself is composed of millions of choices that are never wrong or right, but rather like an impressionist painting with its beautiful connection and its beautiful dark and light brushstrokes. Together, these choices create the overall picture of our universe and our life at any given moment. And in every moment, from that zoomed out perspective, The universal composition is perfect, or rather, it's meant to be just the way it is. And I'm not even saying this perfection in a metaphorical sense, because studying astrology showed me that this is literally the case. Diving into the map of your own soul or that of the collective, either with a professional reader or by studying the way it works on your own is a gift for our human brains that helps us to access this overall universal composition from our humble intellectual fixations here on earth. The framework of astrology is a living museum for observing the most beautiful art ever created, our own universe. The astrological academics are there as guides if we would like to engage with them, but just like art at the museum, the best way to feel the energy of the patterns of the universe is by connecting with it yourself through being present. Maybe you still don't like this because you don't like the idea of the stars determining our experience of the overall universal composition, but I will argue that this is not the case. This is a misunderstanding of astrology. Because while the composition is there, it's important to remember that art is never dead when it's being perceived. It is alive. And in this universe, in the same way, although we may be part of a larger composition of which we have no control, Our choices always determine our own experience and ultimate fate within the boundaries of the composition, of course. So to me, deepening our awareness of our choices is what this museum of astrological perspective is made for and what makes it worth sitting in. Because it has the potential to help us forge an enlightened, embodied connection with the universe, with a work of art in which we are actively living and creating, rather than becoming subject to it or feeling subject to it. But like any tool, like the fire of Prometheus, some of us do choose to be subject to thinking that we are powerless against the forces of the cosmos, rather than creators within it. And sometimes in that moment, that is way the composition is meant to be. But I'll leave you with my take on what's happening with the overall universal composition right now. So close your eyes and imagine a canvas 
full of moody, muted brushstrokes, constantly shifting and merging into new abstract shapes. There are patches of brilliance here and there, golds, silvers, purples, whites, and vivid oranges or pinks. They feel like islands in a sea of gray, but they're quite solid and the glow of the vivid colorful edges seems to be slowly changing the gray around them. But mostly the overall composition is moody and it's been moody for a while, creating a work that is intricate and beautiful, but also heavy and tired. One day, a brilliant yellow begins to glow enough to merge with a brilliant blue not far away. Both still maintain their own color, their own brilliance. But this pattern of movement continues until they are connected to other blues, other golds, silvers, purples, and more. Over time, the composition becomes brighter, more vivid, more brilliant, until many years later it looks like a completely different painting. This change in this canvas is the age of Aquarius. We are many years into it, but this new moon marks a shift in momentum. Astrologically, the composition of our lives is shifting toward brilliance. There will still be greys, of course, who want to be grey, and that contrast will be important for the composition. But overall, the light and the brilliance within us will become more clear. And whatever is not allowing us to shift along with the bigger composition that is our life and this universe is going to fall away. And that may or may not be a pleasant process. Because, again, the age of Aquarius is all about disruption in service of the composition. And we are all here for it. We're here to guide each other. We're going to be okay. And with that, I'm going to close. Hope you guys have a lovely month. This year, I will be posting the podcast at least once a month because I have other things that I'm offering and putting out starting this week. So don't forget to check out my Instagram at innerspacerevolution. And to sum it up, I will have a Yoga Nidra community where you'll be able to vote for the Yoga Nidras that you need. I'll have limited spots every month for astrology readings and I'm starting to do live events and sound workshops if you're in California. Much of this is at no or low cost. So check it out and let me know what you think. But hope you guys have a happy new year, happy lunar new year and talk to you guys soon.